welcome to POMCAST, the podcast brought to you by Pom Pom Quarterly. I'm Sophie and I'm joined, wow, for the first time in 2021 by Lydia. Hi, Sophie. Hi, welcome. Welcome back, everyone. So here we are back again. It's been a while since we've been in the uh, podcasting uh, universe doing our jobs as we do at Pom Pom Magazine, because that is indeed the the nucleus, the catalyst from this podcast as we both work at Pom Pom Quarterly. So this podcast is... Uh, what's this podcast like, Lydia? If someone's joining in, just listening to the first time? Well, I would say that this podcast is composed about 50% of chatting and a certain amount of silliness. Mm-hmm. Quite I think a lot those of podcasts giggling. don't have enough chatting. You know, there's <laughs> enough, all these John Cage podcasts which are just silence these days. <laughs> but yes, I would say that this is fairly light-hearted and fun podcast about crafts and knitting and um as sophie said we're um we both work at pom-pom quarterly slash pom-pom publishing uh so we do like to talk about the lovely things that we publish and also generally about things that we make yeah so it's kind of imagine it's you're joining us for a knit night and you're finding out all about your favorite magazine well, we weren't biased right uh so yeah let's tell you what what you can expect from this episode so um we've got what we've been knitting we've got pom news and releases uh an interview with the amazing jacqueline sislak who is a knitting designer who you may know if not you're gonna you're gonna know right get to know <laughs> and we like to end the episode with a top three so uh Listing things in threes that we like. Uh, some of you <laughs> regular listeners will know this uh, this format. So welcome on board, welcome back. While we're recording this podcast, it's uh, sort of difficult to not acknowledge the the wider context of uh, the scenario we both find ourselves in. Um, we're both in the UK. I'm in London, and Lydia's in Norwich. For many people listening around the world, it'll also be in uh, lockdown situations or shielding situations, and uh, you know. We acknowledge that everyone's had such a fundamental change to their everyday life for this past year. We're looking in the scenarios that we have. It's it's more of an existential crisis for us, although you know the weight of this situation is something that everyone's carrying different ways. Um, we're thinking of all of you. We hope that this um, podcast is a little bit of a a breathing room, a bit of escape. I know that we like recording it because for us it is that. Um, that space to talk about things we like, you know, knitting and making and, you know, what's what's more what's more hopeful than that, really. Yeah, and it's it's a kind of feeling of community and connection that, you know, of course we've been able to be in touch with people we care about to varying degrees, mostly via the power of the internets. And this way we can stay in touch with other POM fans, including you, hopefully. And as Sophie said, um, we're thinking of everyone who is affected and we hope you're all safe so speaking of that community we always love to hear from you guys what you've been up to we have the Ravelry forums we also have all the show notes because there'll be stuff we're talking about and you'll think oh what was that like oh yeah I want to check out that world or wait what is a pom-pom and you can find that on the show notes which is the pom-pom website uh, well, we have a blog where we'll link to anything uh, interesting and all the uninteresting bits too so you can check out those <laughs> Just everything we say, if there's a link, it'll be there.
let's move on to tell and tell. So it's been a little while since we've been uh, in the podcast booth. When I say booth, we're uh, <laughs> the space between these headphones that we're currently in. So tell me, Lydia, about some highlights of uh, your knitting crafting projects since we've uh, last talked. Well, I've just realised that since we last spoke, I probably made the sample that I knit for Ready, Set, Raglan. Mm. Yeah, which was LON, uh, which we'll come back. We'll circle back on that one because I know that we're going to talk about uh, the Raglan book that we published shortly. Um, I mean, my main sort of new tell and tell making related situation is that I've managed to get a repetitive strain injury in both my elbows. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. I've been waiting all of my crafting career for this to happen, which has been quite frustrating because it's limited my knitting time, as in I can't knit for very long periods of time or really at all at the moment, like not since about Christmas. But on the plus side, I can sew. Like I can use a sewing machine. Uh, I think it's just a different kind of using of the arms, less repetitive, Mm -hmm. you might say. I've made a couple of pairs of the All Well Studio Pants, which in British is Studio Trousers. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, <laughs> span the genres here. Yeah. <laughs> and those have been a lot of fun. They have an elasticated waist, which is my new favourite type of bottom half item, which I made in some pink cord. And it's fun because they're elasticated, but they're still corduroy trousers. So they kind of, you know, they've got a little bit of elasticated stuff but maybe a more unexpected fabric for an elasticated trouser. I don't know. I don't go out much anymore. (laughs) I feel like corduroy has less of a lounging aspect to it, maybe. Uh, Mm. And I'm not discrediting the the lounging power because, you know, I fully embrace that. But yeah, corduroy gives me strong Hobbit vibes, which I think is only a positive. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I don't know if you could find corduroy that was less Hobbity than this particular one, but Mm -hmm. I... I know exactly what you mean. It's got a slightly kind of rustic feel, ye oldie. <laughs> but speaking of pants, I also made some actual pants, i.e. knickers in British English. Yes, underpants, exactly. And I've been using the Josie pants pattern from Made My Wardrobe. Mm. And I really love their patterns in particular. Very fun to make. And they also sell lots of fold over elastic, Made My Wardrobe do. And you can get it in like lots of really nice colours. So it's been fun making pants and doing like contrast elastic. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> Podcast. The pants episode. Yeah. The one where Lydia makes pants. <laughs> yeah. Fold over elastic sounds interesting. I've never made uh, underpants before. So I'm intrigued by that. Yeah. It pretty much does what it says on the tin. So you just fold it over <laughs> your edges. But the, the, the good thing is that, yeah, it's the fun colours. So I've got it in like pink and teal and yellow and it just you know it's this it's the fun color combos that are really doing it for me with the pants anyway what have you been making uh what have i been making i uh, made a batch of snowshoe socks for christmas uh, christmas presents for no less than three people in my family and the snowshoe socks pattern which i know you're a fan of which oh, yeah. is from emily foden's knits about winter and uh, I recently converted a friend to these, this pattern because they were like, well, I don't know about socks with a four-ply, it takes too long. And the thing about snowshoes is uh, you use four-ply held double 
and you won't believe how quick it is. So not only are they great custard presses, they're pretty quick to knit. So I enjoyed making several batches of those and I finished an Atlantica, which is from issue 34, which is the autumn issue of Pom Pom. Um, and has glorious um, cabled and lace and there's some nuts and bobbles going in there. Uh, if you think of issue 34, you know that. It's in a peachy colour and it's in a blue colour and it's actually modelled by you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just like, oh yeah, <laughs> I've worn that jumper. Uh, and I think it was good to have something to like get my teeth into with a bit more lace. I hadn't worked from a lace chart for a while. And it was, uh, yeah, like a nice... Uh, consuming project and I mean that in a, in a good <laughs> good way mm. to have uh, your attention you know sometimes you need those projects that just really um, take a bit more of your attention it's nice to have the telly knitting maybe you know just for the relaxing garters or garter stitch or the garters if you make your underpants I guess <laughs> um, so yeah I really uh, that was a project I finished sort of at the end of last year um, so I'm really pleased with that and currently I'm working on a soiree, again from Knits About Winter. Nice. And we'll put some photos on the show notes, as we always do. Um, but it has sort of a drop shoulder, boxy jumper, with a cable detail. I can't believe it's taken me so long to wear, to make one, because I know it's a favourite of the, a lot of the POM team. Yeah, it's a classic. I feel like most of the POM team own a soiree. Like yeah. Most of us have made one. But hey, it's never too late to get to the soiree. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Back, guys. <laughs> it took a while to warm up there. <laughs> the creaking puns, like <laughs> coming back. Pandemic. Pandemic. Oh, oh, oh wow. Made me sad. Oh yeah. <laughs> Too soon. Yeah. So if you're knitting something, uh, you might know that we have a knit along. So we're having a knit along for the whole of 2021. That's right, whole year. Yeah. Think of 21. It's a knit along. Fun. <laughs> which kind of rhymes uh, which you can enter via Instagram and via Ravelry uh, so we'll put a link to that on the uh, show notes but yes you can if you're knitting any POM pattern you can enter as long as you haven't entered that pattern before and you can win some great prizes I mean what's not to love yeah it does sound pretty great and actually today we were having a look at uh, the projects that have been tagged so far for hashtag POMCAL2021 and oh boy, are people making some amazing stuff. It was such a nice way to start the week to just see everyone's amazing projects. Definitely. I think so many people on the Ravelry forum have said, oh yeah, this is a nice boost to either pick up a project that they started and they're like, okay, right, this is my commitment. This is the thing that's going to get me to finish it or go through that queue of things that they've been wanting to do. So mm. yeah, check it out. <laughs> to news uh, since we last spoke we were speaking about issue 33 which is our summer issue and of course uh, as you know within how numbers work we've had issue 34 and issue 35 since then so we'll keep the focus on issue 36 which is our spring issue because it's just been released uh, as uh, we're recording this podcast and as you're listening and issue 36 was quilt themed yes it was quilt themed which meant that uh, we we're very excited to include lots of projects that had kind of themes of like scrap busting because of course a lot of quilts are made with leftover bits of fabric 
Um, so we wanted to kind of incorporate that into knits and we had lots of lovely textures and we had some entrelac, which was very exciting to see in pom-pom because we don't have it that frequently, modular knitting. But yeah, I think quilts are having a little bit of a moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, they never really went away, I don't think. But the <laughs> online crafty world is having a bit of a quilt moment, which is very pleasing <laughs> for us with the quilt themes. As you say, it was a lot of interesting um, uses of texture, with like mod- modular knitting as well as entrelac. And I think don't get, don't you know, I know what you're thinking. Don't think that because there's also lots of simple uh, uses of texture in this issue as well. So a little bit of something for everyone, which of course what we like to bring to the the mix that is pom-pom yeah and it's also um i would say even by pom-pom standards a pretty colorful issue oh yeah like a real like boost of spring colors you've got lots of yellow and pinks and like some great kind of aqua acid kind of mint going on um there's a fun recipe we also have a recipe in pom which is for a battenberg cake which is yeah which is an extra colorful battenberg cake um so just remembering the discussion we had about sprinkles with like a good half an hour, like how sprinkles were worded in the uh, magazine. You know, we haven't been doing the podcast for a while, but guys, we've been working hard thinking about these issues. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one of my personal favourite things about uh, issue 36 is that kind of real like burst of colour. And there's just each, pro- well, most of the projects include more than one colour, not all of them. Like Sophie said, there's some variety. There are a few projects that are just that are you know textured in plain colors although you know you could probably stripe them or add other colors in if you wanted to but part of the idea was to try and use up little bits and bobs you got kicking around which for me is very exciting because one of my pastimes (laughs) is to take my yarns out and arrange them in pleasing color combinations and then normally they go back in the ziploc bags (laughs) But this way, I feel like I, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot I can do with my little color combos in this, uh, in this issue. Well, speaking of the patterns in issue thirty-six, there's um, nine altogether, which we'll put links to. But uh, do you have any must knit uh, first on the list to knit or crochet for you? So, at top of my list is Lisa by um, Amalia of Kindred Red, who has two patterns in issue thirty-six. Um, but this one is a kind of boxy hooded jacket there is a um, a hoodless version but I would like to make the hooded version and it's um, a kind of modular like knit in squares but it's she's used double knitting so that the one side of the knit is an alpaca boucle so it's kind of floofy and then the other side is uh, (laughs) (laughs) non-floofy the technical term to use in the knitting world yes because uh, I think she's used a sort of variety of scrap yarns, sort of um, sometimes holding them double and sometimes not, but just to get a kind of double knit weight, if I remember correctly. But yes, we have the floof side and the non-floof side. And I've already ordered my alpaca boucle to use for the floof side. So what mm-hmm. I need to do now is organise my scraps, <laughs> which obviously will be a really great afternoon for me on a weekend. I feel there's a lot of cyclical themes in this. It's like the Groundhog Day of lockdown yeah. where like an arrange scraps. And I made socks, and then I made pants, and then I made my scraps. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll, you know, I'll do what I do every weekend, Sophie, which is <laughs> move some colours around for a bit. I might listen to some music. I might go out for a walk. Anything could happen. But the point is that I'll be working towards making this jacket, um, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. How about you? What's your top of the pops for issue 36? 
well, there's a lot of a lot to love in this issue, but Lucky Pieces, which is the front cover of issue 36. Um, you know, and I feel like my wardrobe's been entrelacking this kind of design. Oh, oh that's good. <laughs> because it's entrelac. And <laughs> I think we were talking about how, you know, it's a lot of colour in issue 36, and this one has this great uh, pinwheel patchwork sort of style to it with a little um, centre of colour in the entrelac design. Um, but I think I'm kind of tempted to try this with a single colour yarn and let the texture of the piece sort of show. Ooh. Um, I love a tweedy yarn, so I'm thinking like a very, something like a subtle tweed could be nice. You know, like you get those great kind of Shetlandy colours, like really heathery. Mm. That's what I'm kind of uh, feeling about. And um, yeah, if you don't know Lucky Pieces, it's kind of like a, a cardi with like a tie front and it's got quite a simple cap sleeve. Mm. So um, That's a really good idea, because actually the Lisa jacket that I was thinking of making, you know, it's got all these kind of each block has got quite wide stripes and then they're turned round so you get kind of stripes in different directions and it's all the one in the magazine is like lots of pink and green and it's like quite mm. bright and jazzy but actually you could make it in one block color or even just with like the odd bit of contrast around the cuffs or something yeah be... Oof. Oh. tasty oh i should <laughs> say that that design is by in young kim so thank you <laughs> All right, so that was issue 36, um, but the big POM publication of last year, 2020, was Ready, Set, Raglan. Yeah, we had a special uh, mention uh, from Nicola, who's taxing on Ravelry, who asked, uh, wanted to know sort of more about this, and she said 2021 is going to be the year of the Raglan, so I'm very excited, uh, just like her, about that. But Lydia, this was sort of uh, one of the projects that you took the reins on, it was sort of your vision, so... Uh, Maybe I'll let you talk about this. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, like a lot of businesses, when uh, we went into lockdown last year, there were some projects that we couldn't continue with um, that were pushed back rather than kind of dropped. So, for example, we've got um, Shetland Trader Book Three by Gudrun Johnston that was supposed to be released last year, which had to be postponed. So watch this space for more about that. Um, but that left us with a kind of gap in our production schedule and I saw that gap and I thought I don't want to do with that I've been wanting to do a book about Raglan so um, we quite quickly put together a, a plan and a timeline and um, thanks to all the amazing people I work with we were able to publish the book before Christmas last year. We can't mention it with the fact that it was a totally in-house project I think you know people might not know the whole process of uh, making books at POM but quite often we're working with a designer outside of the team yeah but this time it was yeah like Sophie said it was all in-house and everybody put so much work and so much love into the book and I think I hope that you can tell I'm I'm really really proud of it and I think everyone is um everyone on the team and they absolutely should be we all should be I think I don't know if that's you know, tooting my own horn too much, but I do really love this book. And it so it came out of um, the design that I did for issue 28, which was Woodwardia. For those of you who might remember, it was a, it's a pink jumper with like a, a sort of top down raglan with a sort of little pearl, uh, a few pearl stitches kind of around the raglan increases that looked like a little fern was the idea. It was the front cover. In, yeah. Uh, 28. Yeah. Yeah, And it, it proved very popular amongst the POM team and it, as and it seems amongst uh, people who bought the magazine. And it made me think about uh, 
Megan's Raglan Design Lobelia from issue four. And I thought, I just want to keep making Raglans. Like, I really love this shape of jumper is kind of my favorite shape. It's quite boxy. It's quite easy to kind of try on as you go. Um, and it's nice to have kind of quite a uh, plain sort of blank canvas style of jumper that you can just kind of play with colors. It means that I can arrange my colors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I kind of talked to the team about it and everybody else also seemed quite excited. And the idea was that um, it'd be a kind of jumpers that lots of sort of raglan jumpers. We've got eight patterns, all of them raglans, all top down. Um, but each with a kind of little variation. So we've got some that are ribbed, some that have, there's a garter, raglan, um, you know, kind of textured stitches, uh, but quite, quite kind of straightforward, reasonably beginner friendly. Uh, we kind of thought of it as something that if you'd maybe worked your way through our beginner's book, Knit How, and fancied making more jumpers, that it could could be a good place to go. But also... You know, even for more experienced knitters, sometimes it's nice to make something that you can watch TV while you're making it. But also we included a lot of information about various kind of customizations. So different heights of neck, different lengths of sleeve, kind of ideas that maybe use different ribbing. And we put a little bit in there about colour, sort of use of colour and how we decided on the colour palette that we used for the book and kind of ideas of sort of maybe if you weren't sure what kinds of colours you wanted to use, like little techniques to um, to help kind of spark colour ideas. Yeah, so it's a kind of book that's a combination of patterns that you can pretty much just follow and, you know, come out with lovely jumpers, but then also sort of not really recipes, but kind of patterns and then very clear guidance of like, this is the point that if you would like to make this longer or shorter, this is where you should do it. Or, you know, if you um, want your ribbing to be deeper, you know, here's here's how and, and why and when and where. Um, <laughs> I think that pretty much covers it. Oh, but I, and all the um, all the patterns are in the same uh, weight yarn, which is worsted weight. But we showed we've had, had a lot of samples. It was a very ambitious project to squeeze into about nine months, um, to say the least. We had a lot of samples made, but that was because we wanted to show just the difference that yarn can make in in a jumper and the kind of the different sorts of ways that uh, a raglan jumper can look you know if you've got a floof yarn for example the aforementioned floof non-floof yarns also included we had some fun color blocking um you know different kind of holding yarn double scenarios yeah one of the great things as we said like the whole pom team i could start listing them all but they know they know who they are but everyone sort of pulled together for this project and most of the samples were made by members of the team and also we had a great um test knitting community which i think really helped uh pull this book to, you know add the icing on the cake to this book and i think i would encourage you know if you haven't come across the book as well um one of the things you said about how it's customizable and all the different options we sort of in, uh allowed the test knitters to sort of play around with that sort of following the main parameters of the book um so yeah you can see all those on ravelry um and on instagram or wherever you like to look at jumpers i guess okay so that brings us to our next pomcast segment which is our interview and as sophie mentioned at the top of the show this week this week <laughs> as if it's a weekly podcast this time <laughs> we're interviewing um jacqueline sislak uh whose book embody we recently published 
we were so overjoyed when Jackie contacted us to ask if we would work with her to um, to print and body. And it's been such a joy and a pleasure working with her. And when you listen to the interview, you will see exactly why she's an incredibly warm and generous and knowledgeable and funny, interesting person. And it was such a joy to talk to her. But a little bit about Embody before we uh, go to the fun chats with Jackie. So yes, you'll hear Jackie talk about uh, her book, but just to give you the, uh, she'll give you all the feels, we'll give you the facts. Um, but Embody is a collection of knitting and sewing patterns, which, you know, is pretty exciting. This is the first sort of sewing uh, venture in a book for Pom Pom. And uh, they have bespoke instructions. Uh, you can sort of build your own customised uh, capsule wardrobe, graded for chests up to 64 inches. And uh, the mag, it's actually the same size as the mag, as the, mag um, the book. So you can imagine that on your, on your shelves with all your POM, your POM library. And uh, there's a digital download code, like all POM books. And you've got your print at home sewing patterns, or you, know, you can take that to your copy shop, wherever you get your print patterns printed, if you're familiar with working with sewing patterns. Uh, it's coming out soon, depending when you're listening to this. It's arriving uh, 25th of March is the official on sale. Um, and where you'll find it in all good yarn and sewing shops, which is pretty exciting. And to continue with the excitement, here's us chatting to Jackie. this morning i'm so good so so good this morning (laughs) so we're so excited to have you on the podcast and we know what you do we've been working with you for a little while but for those listeners who haven't come across you before could you tell us about yourself give us like the elevator the lift pitch version yeah i am a cultural anthropologist turned knitting and sewing pattern designer i um focus on making a handmade wardrobe, creating patterns, classes, um, guidance, inspiration for makers, creating their own handmade wardrobes. So um, yeah, that's what I'm all about. Well, we're sold. (laughs) Yeah, needless to say, we're very much on board. (laughs) Um, So we wanted to talk to you a bit about, about Embody. And we wanted to start with how the idea for the collection came about. Um, So um, this was a project that like actually kind of kept getting bigger as it went along <laughs> because it started um, last, well, I guess it wasn't last year. It was 2019 at Rhinebeck. Um, I was chatting with Amy. Um, and when you mention Amy, that's Amy of La Bien Amy in Paris, right? Yes. So so Amy suggested a, a collection and um, I had been thinking about doing something like that for a while and I was scheduled to teach at Squam. I thought it would be really fun to do something to publish at Squam, like that would be part of um, part of my class, and I thought it would be fun to have a printed copy. And so I started looking at different ways to make that happen. And then um, I did the interview with you all and had a relationship there, and so asked about publishing it. And then it like, it, and it sort of grew from there. And at some point, I realized that I was actually making a book. <laughs> Right? Like it wasn't. So I, so when I say it kept getting bigger, I mean that I didn't, I didn't initially think that I was writing a book. Like that sort of, um, that um, became clear as the project went on. 
And if you're going to speak to someone saying like, yeah, I think this should be printed. If you're going to speak to us about that, we're like, yeah. (laughs) It's going to be a book. (laughs) That's what a book is, Jackie. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So that was um, that. So that came about. And um, and then just like collaborating with people. um, And of course, the pandemic um, meant that Squam was canceled. Right. And things kept getting pushed and changed, um, which was okay, and made it. Like, I think the focus kept shifting to be more and more on the book as a book, right? Because it was no longer tied to the original things that I thought it was. It was no longer tied to Squam. It was no longer tied to my class. Um, Although, like, obviously still I will use it when I teach. But, um, yeah, it became more and more just about the book as a product. And um, I think I am grateful for that. I'm not grateful for the circumstances that that (laughs) made that happen, but I am grateful that, like, Um, the book sort of stands on its own. And I love that phrase you use the book, it sort of became more than a book because I think it's intrinsic to how the patterns are written, that it's a capsule collection. Can you explain more about that, how it works, all the different patterns together? Yeah, so um, at its like sort of most basic, a capsule collection is something that has like multiple pieces that are designed to be combined in different ways to create sort of different outfits and different combinations of things. And um, that sort of ethos of, of dressing and of curating a closet is something that um, has come very naturally to me, if only because like I am very particular about what I like. And so I find that a lot of my pieces are sort of mixed and matchable. <laughs> um, but over the course of like working in a yarn shop and teaching people, um, I've learned that it's something, um, it's something that like does have particular skills associated with it. And, and it can be really helpful, um, for makers to like, um, illuminate what those are. I I love the word curated when it comes to thinking about clothes. I feel like it's just such a like lovely way to conceptualize what you wear kind of day to day. Yeah, and it and it draws attention to the fact that clothing can be art, right? Mm. Um, and it, I, I also think that it um, it emphasizes that like a sustainable wardrobe is one where you're thinking very carefully about the pieces that you add, right? You're not just like, oh, maybe I'll try this thing and maybe it'll work, and if it doesn't, I'll throw it away, and then I'll try another one or order, you know, in five different varieties of whatever and see, you know. Um, because (laughs) a lot of those pieces will end up in landfills. Yeah, and one of the things that I always think about, one of the main lessons I think I learned when I first really started making clothes was just how much skill and time goes into making things. Um, So this kind of greater respect of like the engineering (laughs) that goes into producing all sorts of things that we wear. Oh, absolutely. I I do not bulk at... um prices in the way that I once did on like slow fashion because I um I'm actually like much more likely to sort of bulk at the price of something that's really cheap because I wonder like what what is it right like why is this thing so cheap who is being exploited at what chain of the production process and I do think there's a larger conversation about slow fashion and accessibility that's that's important to mention here too right because um, I'm more likely to talk about ethical fashion than sustainable fashion because I think we have to be talking about the fact that um, quote-unquote slow fashion isn't financially accessible to a lot of people. It's not accessible to a lot of people on the basis of size range, right? A lot of 
sustainable fashion isn't size inclusive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's there's a larger part of that conversation, right? But there's something about taking the time to make, if you sit down and you make your own t-shirt and you realize how much work goes into it, even if you're like a very skilled sewist, you realize just how much time it is, right? And you're like, well, how much is my time worth? And what am I asking of somebody else if I expect to be able to pay $5 for this? Mm. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of started to go into the kind of clothes as as a form of activism here. So this is probably a nice little uh, segue to our next question. Um, which is kind of reflecting, you know, your, as a designer, your patterns are linked to your work as a fat activist. And before I go on, I just want to say that um, Jackie uses the word fat to describe herself. And so that's what I'm going to do. Um, and that you're a body positive maker. Um, so we just wanted to ask you a little bit more about that and how your book kind of explores those aspects of you as a, as a designer. So... The reason that I started making my own clothes was because I couldn't find the things that I wanted to wear in my size. Like it's very, it's extremely practical. I was in, um, I was in grad school and I was going to conferences and actually like the thing that I remember being like the crux of the thing that I was really frustrated was that I couldn't find a blazer. I could not find a plus size blazer that wasn't like really, really boring (laughs) That that came in my size. And it was so, so frustrating it um I like now I now I don't live a lifestyle where I would ever wear a blazer but like as the thing the sort of like need for a specialized piece of clothing in a moment when you have to be presenting yourself in a way where your sort of aesthetic presentation matters professionally personally socially right and to have like not not only limited options but like almost no options right it was it was so frustrating and it was so um it just like it gave me a lot of anxiety right it was really it it sucked so i started making my own clothes to this day i've never made a blazer i probably won't ever (laughs) although there are some very cute ones cute sewing patterns for plus size blazers that have come out recently (laughs) yeah it sort of it grew from there Um, When you start sewing, at least when I started sewing, we hadn't had what, um, there's a, there's a sewing influencer on Instagram, um, Shannon, at at rare.device, who calls it the great pattern, pattern fattening of 2019. And (laughs) that was when like all the sewing pattern companies, the great pattern fattening of 2019, the indie sewing companies were like, we're going to make all the patterns. We're going to make them in plus sizes, which was great. And a lot of them still haven't, but it was great that, you know. Some of them did. So um, I started sewing well before that. And um, if you start out as a beginning sewist and you are fat um, and you want to, um, you'll see a lot of things that you want to sew and the learning curve will be a lot higher because you are simultaneously learning to sew and learning how to grade up patterns that don't come in your size. And that really sucks. That's really hard. It's a really, it's a barrier of access to a lot of fat folks who would like to get into sewing there are great resources out there there absolutely are but um when I started um yeah it was a steep learning curve so I want to be biased now and say one of these resources is embodied so yes now one of the resources is is, is embodied yes so the way um so how, how is this reflected in the book um in a couple of ways one of them first is that I'm the only model in the book <laughs> 
I took I did take pictures of two of the women in Charlottesville who I named patterns the patterns after because they've been people who I've um who have meant a lot to me as I've learned and grown as a maker here. They're people with whom I have personal relationship and like that was important for me to highlight. Um, because I think so much of creating is about having relationships with other creatives, right? That just, it's everything. Um, but other than that, I, especially when I got started, I felt like it was really important to show my designs on thin bodies as well as fat bodies. Um, and I look back on that and I think that part of that was my own internalized fat phobia and my sort of sense that like thin people wouldn't want to buy my patterns if they didn't see a thin person modeling them, which like, in retrospect, I've spent most of my life buying clothes and patterns modeled on people who didn't look like me, right? And it like, you know, it's not, um, and these things are not equivalent, right? It's not um, being in a marginalized body and not seeing yourself represented is not the same as being in a body that is the idealized norm, um, not seeing yourself in, in like the occasional pattern, but it's just, it's not the same, right? It's a false equivalency, but, um, yeah, I think part of what Embody was and is for me was a chance, um, and I know this isn't the first book that you've published that like centers a, um, fat model, right? Um, I want to shout out Bristol's second book here, right? Because, um, you, I, I think, I think it can be really powerful to work with somebody in a fat body and to sort of center that as the as the base point from which other people have to then see themselves represented. I think that's a really powerful move. Well, it's Naomi Williams, the model? Yeah, yeah, it's Naomi. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, you spoke about in that about the how it's important to have a collaboration with creatives and that's a, like a keystone for you. And I wanted to talk about the the yarns that you used in this project. Uh, you mentioned Amy of La Bien Amie and also the fabric by Darren of U Fibers. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that process with the book? Yeah, um, it was great. <laughs> Amy and Darren are such great people to work with. I'm just so, so grateful for both of them. Uh, let's see. Amy sent me a box of yarn, um, I think at the end of 2019, which like you know what a dream box of <laughs> to yarn yeah to receive, to receive a giant box of yarn from from paris <laughs> right um that was like one of my my best days ever so once i had the yarn from amy i brought it into the shop so in in charlottesville um i live very close to the shop and i like will frequently just run back and forth during the day for whatever to just say hi and and the shop is you fibers, fibers yeah? you fibers yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and so I brought the yarns into the shop and knit up swatches and gave them to Darren. And over the course of like, I, I want to say it took maybe two months, Darren dyed fabric swatches. So all the fabrics are botanically dyed with, um, a lot of them use things that she like foraged and pulled from her own garden. Not all of them, but I think a lot of the fabrics do like the marigold fabric, the yellow dress that is those are flowers from her garden and they're dyed in recycled rainwater. She has a like rainwater cistern. Um, Darren. So since as long as we have had fabric in the shop, Darren and I like <laughs> just like 
Darren and I and the other people who work there um, are constantly putting together fabrics and yarns to plan projects, right? That's like a, um, I, I don't know if there was ever a time when I would like buy a yarn and not buy a fabric or vice versa, right? Um, I love planning them to go together. So it was such a natural extension of that to deliberately create this palette for the collection. That's wonderful. I think, well, speaking of yarn and fabrics, we sort of touched on this with like the accessibility and the choices of yarn as makers. Um, and do you feel there's like a difference between the yarns that you choose for yourself versus like how you tailor things for designs or are they intrinsically linked? It's a great question. In this book, my focus was so closely on fit and my focus is usually on fit in my designs but in embody in particular the darren sweater is like my if i could have a sweater that fits perfectly <laughs> um it's a top down set and sleeve which is i think of the various construction methods the most adaptable for purposes of creating a fit that looks uniform across the size range there are some styles of sweater construction like a like a true raglan not a compound raglan a raglan that just has like the straight straight lines at the same angle all the way down right if you move across the size range as body proportions change that sweater is going to fit differently across the size range unless you're like making adjustments the or, or like a drop shoulder a drop shoulder there's a drop shoulder looks so different on a plus size body than a straight size body unless again you're making adjustments that make it no longer a true drop shoulder right that isn't true for a sudden sleeve. A sudden sleeve can look the same no matter where you are proportionally across the size range. Um, and so for that reason, a sudden sleeve in my mind is like the answer to this sort of question of like, how do you design something that really fits somebody with a 64 inch bust the same way as somebody with a 32 inch bust, right? Given that focus and given my decision to do a, a sudden sleeve for Embody, um, I really needed a yarn that would behave predictably from swatching through all the way to the end of the knitting process and blocking. And I think that Helix from La Bienemy delivers on that really, really beautifully. It's a non-superwash yarn. One of the characteristics of wool is that it has memory. And when you do the chemical processes that treat a yarn into a superwash yarn, um, it loses some of that ability to, to have memory. So if you, especially if you're a plus size knitter and you're knitting like a big sweater with um, a superwash yarn, there's a good chance that it's going to grow more than you anticipate when it's done. And so to achieve a fit that reflects what you think you're getting from the pattern photos, a non-superwash yarn is more predictable. That is what I chose. That's what I went with for this book. Um, I did end up, the book also has one yarn from Knit Picks that I picked because it's um, a widely available yarn that is at a relatively accessible price point, but it is still a non-superwash, 100% wool, wool of the Andes. And um, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a really good yarn. Yeah, it's so fun. I just realized how much I've missed just listening to people talk about yarn. <laughs> and you'd think that in our jobs, like, you know, that would happen quite a lot, but actually I think <laughs> like not hanging out with knitters as often, like IRL. <laughs> It's just so, it's like so joyful hearing someone be like, and I like this kind of yarn because of this. And like this one, and it's, oh. 
yeah no it's just it's brought me all the all the yarn joy um yes okay so in terms of the patterns in in your book in uh, embody they use a slightly different format to what uh, to the kind of format that knitters might be sort of familiar with so we just wanted to ask you a bit about what people can expect for like from this aspect and the decision making uh, behind it yeah I have a little bit of background in graphic design, and I um, one of the things that I'm... You say that, and you design the whole book. Oh, no, I'm just like, going to ah, put that in there. That's an understatement, but yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I yeah, I, I'm really grateful. I'm super grateful that I found a publisher who was like, yeah, you can do, we'll let you do this yourself. That was like, I'm so grateful to you all for that. Um, it's ever since Ursa. Like, Ursa was the first, was my first sort of professional sewing pattern be or sewing pattern my first professional knitting pattern because it was the first pattern I had tech edited it was the first pattern that like I had tested and ever since Ursa I write all my patterns directly in InDesign so I am designing the layout as I'm writing the pattern which um is part of my process because I'm really really visual I'm a very visual learner and so like seeing how instructions look on the page and how important points are emphasized or de-emphasized, right, um, is actually really p important to me and how I understand and how I convey things to people. Embody has 12 sizes, which is um, a, a lot of sizes. And if you have 12 numbers in various brackets in a pattern, I feel like it begins to get overwhelming really fast. It begins to be a lot more likely that knitters are going to like accidentally pick the wrong number, um, which to some extent like isn't, I, as a designer, I can't, I can't worry too much about that, right? Like at some point I have to be like, okay, it's the knitter's responsibility to knit the pattern and that's okay, right? To the extent that I can like do things to make the pattern more user-friendly. Um, I, I like to experiment in that way. So Embody has, wherever there's a space, wherever there's a part in the pattern where there will be a number that's different in different sizes, there's a blank space. And on that same page, there will be a table with numbers for the different sizes, and you fill in the number for your size. So I sort of intend it to be like with the layout this way, you can actually knit from the book without writing in anything because you can just look and see and find your reference number and pop it in, right? Um, it's totally possible to do that. But the other thing that you can choose to do is you can choose to write in your numbers or the book does include a printer-friendly download that is just the text for the patterns and you can print that out as many times as you want and fill in your numbers so you don't have to mark up your beautiful book. My goal with this style of pattern writing is to make the pattern more readable and user-friendly. It also makes it easier to make modifications that suit your body because you can do the math or do the sort of whatever it is that you need to work out for um, your particular piece and then just write it in. Um, and the space is already there for you. It doesn't, you don't have to be scribbling in margins that are too small. So. All of those things. That's sort of my intention behind this layout. Mm. So interesting. So interesting to hear like the thought that goes into kind of reimagining how how um, patterns should be laid out. I love it. So our next question is about colours. And I feel like we've sort of slightly covered this, but I'm going to ask anyway, because similarly to talking about yarns, I could talk about colours forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... Um, 
the color palette that you used for embody is is very uh the the word i have in my notes is succinct and i'm going to stick with that because it's quite a pared down palette works really beautifully um and i just wondered if you could talk a bit about choosing those colors um and whether you had any advice for people listening who might want to you know curate i'm gonna i'm gonna pick up on that word now <laughs> curate uh, a similarly specific color palette for themselves my color palette is pretty predictable i do tend to go with a lot of the same colors um my apartment is filled with like mustard and pale pink and occasional you know a lot of dark green from all the plants right which is which is essentially the color palette in the body i think that um monochrome is having a moment and um i love that i love all of the like monochrome top and bottom sets that I'm seeing everywhere. They're so cute, right? I think when I'm putting together colors for something, I always start with an assumption that there there's gonna be there are gonna be pieces that are all gonna be very similar or very close to color. And then there will be like one or two that'll sort of stand out. Um, and in my mind, the mustard is sort of the pop. I feel like the base of this palette is the pale pink and then the variations from that, right? So like the gray and the brown or the taupe that both have kind of pink undertones, they're very warm grays and taupes, right? Um, that sort of is the, the core of it in my head. And then you have the mustard that really pops and you have that dark, gorgeous green from Amy's Yona color. Um, I think starting again with sort of variations on one kind of monochrome center um, and then moving to colors that have like huge value differences, right? So there's a, when I say value, value refers to the like lightness or darkness of a color. So if you were to take a picture of the samples for the book and turn it grayscale, you would see that there are a couple pieces that are like really dark in comparison to the other pieces, right? Um, and so I think like having that, once you have a core, a core sort of palette and then having like one or two pieces that deviate in really striking ways. So I think the green does that value wise and then the mustard is like is such a different hue from the others, so. That's great, great advice. Um, so we've talked already that the book is knitting and sewing and we'd really love that maybe knitters will come to this and not have done much sewing and you know, vice versa. And you spoke about teaching. What do you, what advice can you bring to maybe non-sewers or non-knitters that would be using this book and are keen to start with embracing you know making in this way well first like a huge huge amount of encouragement for knitters starting to sew and so it's starting to knit because like i don't know that there have ever been two um skills or hobbies or just practices that are more well suited to go together they're so they're so great together um <laughs> And I think that they're great together because they like hit very different things like you the way that um, you can knit and how sort of transportable it is versus what it means to be sitting at a sewing machine and then like how fast it is to sew something versus how how long it takes to knit. Right. Um, I think putting um, putting the two hobbies side by side, they really like fill niches that um, the other one doesn't fill. Right. They're, they're very complementary. Um, advice for people getting started. I think don't, don't set expectations that are too high for yourself. Um, part of it 
part of making your own clothing is practicing and learning and um it's gonna take time to figure out what you like and that's like that's totally okay that's part of the process that's fun I think starting with I I don't know that I don't know that the pieces in Embody are first project pieces. I don't know that I would that I would characterize the collection that way. I think that there are variations of the pieces in the collection that could be early projects. Like they are projects that you could do relatively early on, but they're not I wouldn't say they're first projects. So for example, I think you I think a sewist who has sewn maybe just one or two garments could sew the sleeveless version of Wolfric. Um, I think that's totally feasible for somebody who's just, who's relatively new. Not very first, but relatively new. And I think um, that um, Elsom, the shawl, I, I think a very new knitter could do Elsom pretty easily. And I think that an ambitious knitter who has done one or two garments could do Darren. I do. I always say this. I think that that desire is a really powerful motivator. And I think um, I am a person, my very first sewing pattern ever <laughs> was the matcha top by So Liberated, which is like, if you look up this pattern, it has like a gathered neckline and a standing collar. And I just like, I was like, that is what I want. That's what I'm going <laughs> to sew. <laughs> And I did it and I wore it and I loved it. <laughs> um, the collar was like a little bit crooked and the back was off center and like one of the sleeves was smaller than the other and I just like went for it and I didn't care. I struggle when knitters ask me the skill level of my patterns because I think so much of it is just personal. It's just like, what are you, how much do you want this thing? Mm. <laughs> and what are you willing to learn in the process? And are you a person who is going to feel really discouraged if you get to the end and it's not exactly how you wanted because your skill set isn't there yet? Or are you going to be a person who gets to the end and you're like, I made this and I'm going to wear it and I don't care, right? And knowing those things about yourself and making a decision is um, based on that, I think, is really helpful. There's something else that I do want to say about the skill level in Embody because I feel like I... Um, I feel like I maybe made the patterns sound more difficult than they are. I think there is so much guidance in the book. There are video tutorials for, I think if you approach the book, you know how to like knit and purl and cast on and make one left and make one right. I think almost every other technique there's a video tutorial for. So there's video tutorials for the short rows. There are video tutorials for the... For picking up the stitches around the arm cap, uh, the sleeve cap. If you're an ambitious beginner, um, the instructions are there. The instructions are absolutely there. I don't, I don't leave a lot unillustrated. <laughs> and same with the sewing pattern. Every step of the way is fully illustrated. Um, I think I ended up with like 70 something illustrations in total for that, Amazing. for the sewing pattern. And there are video tutorials as well. Um, so, you know, and, and I had fantastic testers for both the sewing and the knitting pattern who like posted detailed photos who are still posting because the, you know, the, as we are recording this, the pre-orders just went live yesterday. And so that was when I gave people the green light to post and share. Um, but there's so much community in the making world, um, that there's just, there's a lot of knowledge sharing uh, out there. So, 
I think, you know, you could knit a pattern, you can knit a pattern that you perceive to be within a skill level that you see as like your skill level, uh, if you're a relative beginner, or you can knit a pattern that you perceive to be a little bit more difficult, but there's a fantastic community of makers out there who have knit it and who have shared information about like how they did it and how they found the pattern, right? And um, I, I think, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think that there are people, I think that there are definitely knitters who could do it as a first sweater. I think it's so lovely hearing you talk about it and just the generosity that you're such a generous teacher. And in this case, uh, like author <laughs> in terms of, you know, adding these things to the community and, and bringing all, all these people together, making, making things. So Jackie, um, where can people find more about you? Uh, how do they find, follow you, you know, gently stalk you on the internet and, uh, what, what's next? <laughs> well, I'm moving to California. <laughs> I'm so excited. I've been, um, this is something that has been like in the works for years and it's finally, it's finally happening and I'm so excited. Congrats. Um, yeah, so I'll be in the Bay area you can find me on the internet, um, on Instagram, of course. The best way to keep up with me is my newsletter, um, because I have com complete control over that. <laughs> I, do, I do not always have complete control over Instagram and what they choose to do. But um, yes, you can follow me at Jacqueline Seasluck on Instagram. You can subscribe to my newsletter, which if you go to my website or my Instagram, it's linked from there. And what's next um, for me designing? I'm actually trying to focus on styling and capsule wardrobe content um, because I feel like I have a number of patterns that, um, I, that are out, that people are making, that um, I think can be um, styled in different ways. And um, I'd really like to be teaching more, more classes, um, capsule wardrobe workshops. So looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to a make-along for Embody that will happen um, in the six weeks after the book comes out on March 25th. So that's going to be really fun. And I do have some other sewing patterns in the works for fall. So Great. Can't wait. Very exciting. Well, all we can say now, I guess, is thank you so much for spending your morning with us and telling us more about Embody. It's been so great to chat to you. Thank you so much, Sophie and Lydia. And thank you to Pom Pom. You all are the best. <laughs> it's been so much fun, both this podcast and having you as our part of our like extended Pom Pom family. So thanks again to Jackie for making time to chat to us. It was so much fun. I think you can tell by <laughs> what you just heard that it was such a joy to talk to her. And uh, we'll link to everything Embody and Jackie related. Um, and we hope you enjoy the book as much as we do. And that brings us to our final segment of the podcast, possibly the most, um, this is the most stable segment. This is the one that's been through thick and thin through how many years we've been doing the podcast now is top three. 
All right. Uh, who, who knew that such a simple concept would be so uh, popular? And it, it, well, it just works, doesn't it? Yeah, slightly self-indulgent, but, you know, what, what, what isn't self-indulgent about recording a podcast with your own <laughs> voice, you know? It's pretty much the essence of. <laughs> um, so, yeah, top three is uh, listing uh, our top three of things. People like to get involved. Sometimes we hear you guys on the Ravelry forum saying, no, you need to be choosing this is number one. Um, and this episode's topic is, well, it's things I wish I'd known before knitting or sewing slash advice for people starting knitting and sewing because we were inspired by Embody with its mix of knitting and sewing and uh, I guess it's the start of the year here maybe people are picking up these things at the start of the year maybe you visited this in uh, the lockdown situation yeah so it's something we thought would be well I said I suggested you were like oh good idea and then later I heard from you were like oh this is really hard (laughs) (laughs) I was having a bit of a like what did I wish I knew when I started that that it got a bit existential right okay (laughs) I've tried to apply it I was talking to a friend about something I wanted to start learning how to do and they were very gracious I mean this is part of my tip but you know they were gracious and just were like yeah well just you know why not why not do it and I'm like the dream is too big I don't know where to start and they were like no I don't think that's the problem just you can just Oh, I feel like I'm getting into my uh, top three already. There we go, but... yeah, you go. At number three. <laughs> At number three. Um, yeah, just start with what you have. I think, especially if we are like keeping to knitting and sewing, I think also this is weird. I suggested this, but then I'm one of those people who was very fortunate that I was taught by family members when I was very young. So although I can remember like knitting not going right, I feel it's something that I've you know, uh, spent a long time doing Mm. so I can't remember the sort of like I will now learn um but yeah I think uh, a lot of the time with maybe crafting projects or like big DIY projects I mean that's more what I was thinking of uh, for my kind of thing like I don't know where to start yeah you probably have more at your disposal than you realize and I think that's difficult again it's difficult in this current scenario of the world that we're in but you know can you borrow stuff from people you know have you actually got things you can start working with like the sewing I think it's also an accessibility cost issue, you know, um, can you be using old sheets from a charity shop, which are just good to start practicing on, or there's um, a lot of places called with, uh, have tool libraries where you can borrow things for weekends yeah. and uh, book them out, and I think that's great. Uh, so yeah, I think start with what you have is a good mentality to have. Mm. Number two, be a finisher. So I re- <laughs> you looked alarmed when I said this. It's because I'm not that... <laughs> Or like the the quantity of things that I start versus like the ratio of things I start to things I actually finish is, is I start more things than I finish, put it that way. Mm. I mean, that's fine. I read this in an interview. I was trying to find the interview actually before this, uh, before this recording to see if I could like reference it properly. But it was an interview with Aura Keeley, who's a textile pattern print designer. And one of the pieces of advice she had was be a finisher. And reading that was stuck with me because, yeah, it's great. It's exciting to start things. But having that as one of your goals in a project yeah that just really stuck with me and I try and remind myself because you know we all get started with stuff and they're like oh I'll try this I'll try that and uh, I think that's also sometimes it's good to push through the the thing you've neglected I mean I'm saying that there's also the things that like sometimes you shouldn't waste time and things that you're not enjoying projects (laughs) yeah I think yeah I mean I, I agree on both counts I think that something that I'm kind of constantly 
sort of balancing is that I do get you know I start things a lot you know that's kind of my main that's and I and I think that's reasonably common but I do know people who start something finish it start a new thing finish it whereas I'm just like start 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 and then actually finishing things I think because the longer I work on something the more it it's not quite that I get more perfectionist maybe but like if it's not exactly as I had hoped in my wildest dreams I start to get a bit kind of um despondent you know it's not necessarily going to be perfect for lots of different reasons and so you have to decide as you move through the project like is this still something I really want you know is do I just need to rip back a little bit you know if it's knitting or like do I just need to maybe rethink the way I'm making the sleeve you know is there a way that I can move this closer to something that I will actually use and love and if not Mm. like if it's at a point where it's like you know what I thought I would really like a jumper or a hat that looked like this but actually I don't think I do then being a finisher in that context is maybe just you know going back is is being honest with yourself about it yeah um I really struggled to find a third one so I wrote down have fun (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one good advice the end have fun they're my top tips note to self have fun note to self have fun no, but it's a really important one. I almost made it onto my list, actually. And I think I'm glad that you put it on your list because I think it's important. I think that if something is the absolute opposite of fun for like the whole time you're making it, it's like, I don't know, that's it. I like crafting. I, I mean, it's not always going to be entirely fun because, you know, things will go wrong and you have to redo them and Sometimes the best thing to do is just to step away from a thing when you're not in the mm. right mood for making it because <laughs> otherwise you'll just do it badly and then have to redo it. I have done that many, many times. I think because the conversation we had with Jackie is fresh in my mind, and especially people listening to this podcast, they'll just, just listen to it. But, you know, she's saying about the skill level of starting these projects, you know, and she says, like, how bad do you want the thing? Like, do you want to make this? Then do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the good thing about a lot of making is, um, and something that's helped me more recently when I've been frustrated, is, yeah, if you step away, and sometimes you only need to step away for about five minutes and the fun returns. Mm. And you can just go and, like, make a cup of tea and have a little biscuit and a cup of tea, or maybe you just need to go and look out the window for a bit if you've got a window nearby, or, like, listen to some music briefly and get back to it. And sometimes it's like, maybe now's not the right... You know, if you're really having a non-fun time, Maybe come back to it. Mm. I've actually, one thing I started doing recently when I was really struggling with something, I took a photo of it. I went went away and looked at the photo I'd taken and I was like, oh yeah, actually it's all right. I've got something about that like distance from it. Ah, that's interesting. Because I, I watched um, Grace and Perry's Art Club. Oh, I need to watch that, yes. The other night and that's exactly what he was doing. He said that often just when he's getting to the point of almost finishing something at the point where like, you're like, is it finished? Is it not finished? Which, I mean, doesn't happen as much maybe for things like knits, but I feel like it's still applicable. Um, he, Yeah, he took a photo of a, uh, a sculpture he'd been working on and he said that it was a much easier way to kind of tell if it was kind of finished or if there were any things that needed adjusting mm. at that point. So you and Grayson Perry have very similar ideas about well, art. award-winning artists and we like wearing dresses, so there you go. <laughs> Come on, Lydia, tell me some top three. So my top three ended up being, uh, okay, well, I'll just go for them. Two of them are very knitting specific, I'm afraid, Mm -hmm. because I'm a much more experienced knitter than I am sewer. 
<laughs> Tip number three. Mine seem really pedestrian compared to yours now. Oh, really? I don't... <laughs> so don't... Mine are very don't... grand and like, asp- you know, kind of a deeper concept or a philosophy. But it's good. It's good because it means that you've know, you also... got both. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got number three. Um, don't buy stitch holders <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, some people like them. I personally have found if you need to put stitches on hold, which, you know, is when you have to put not knit some stitches for a bit and you don't want them still on the needle, you can get little contraptions called stitch holders, which I'm sure are useful for some things, but I find them to be unuseful, (laughs) which is now a word. And I like to use scrap yarn, which I thread through with a darning needle. And that changed my knitting life when I discovered that. Mm. That's a nice smooth scrap yarn because then your stitches are on hold and they can just be kind of squished and put away. And especially for example, for raglans, if you put the sleeves on hold, you can then try it on mm-hmm. with the sleeves on hold sort of relatively straightforwardly. Um, and I would say actually an extension of this advice, put things on hold and block them if you're getting to, a, it's a, like, that's a real, like if you're making something and you're like, well, I don't know if this is really, you know, is this the shape I want it to be? Is it going to be long enough? You know, even if you've done all of your swatch blocking stuff, it can still, I don't know. So if you're feeling, you know, not very sure about something you're working on, that is a good thing to do is put it on hold, block it, look at how it's going so far. Maybe also take a picture of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just get those degrees of separation from it. And it sort of gives you a better idea of, you know, how it will look when it's finished. And especially if you're doing something that's got a lot of lace or where the yarn like really blooms, um, it can be quite difficult to kind of keep in your imagination how it's going to change. Um, so that is one piece of advice. Good advice. I feel like I say the blocking thing to a lot to people. They're like, oh, I'm not sure where it's going. It's really boring. It's like, mm, have you blocked it? And they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Spend the time doing that. <laughs> and the thing is, is people still have to say it to me quite a lot. Where, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'll give the advice, but will I take it? Who knows? Uh, my second, number two, is uh, stitch markers are very, very useful and you will need them and want them in more situations than you can imagine. This is controversial. You Straight away you've gone from the no stitch holders, but yes stitch markers. Yes stitch markers. They don't have to be like... So stitch markers are often um, like the, in their sort of most basic form, just little metal or plastic circles that you put on the needle between stitches. When I first got them, I didn't know what you're supposed to do with them. I thought maybe you're supposed to knit through them. You're not. They go on the needle and they sort of mark a point, you know, between two stitches, they mark. And you can use little bits of scrap yarn that you tie into little circles, and that is perfectly fine. I like to use metal uh, stitch markers, but that's just my personal preference. And they're great because they mean you have to count less. That's what I tell people. It's like, I know they look a bit fiddly and confusing, but if you've got a stitch marker at a point where you need to do increases, you don't need to count up until that point uh and i like to reduce the amount of counting i have to do when i'm knitting but i also have started using them when i'm doing cast when i'm casting on if i'm casting on say like two or three hundred stitches i put a stitch marker every say 50 stitches and then i don't have to keep counting from the beginning and i wish i'd figured that out a while ago i love i would say a preference of a locking stitch marker because i um when i have to put a couple of stitches on hold so it's like you know, like you're putting something on hold for a pocket, maybe? I don't know, that kind of thing, small. Uh, it's also shows how lazy I am, but rather than go get that scrap yarn or something, I would just use lots of locking stitch markers, <laughs> like one after another to put all those stitches on hold. That works for me. <laughs> That's cute. I like that. And then also, of course, you can use 
locking stitch markers to mark kind of points uh, that aren't like stitches that aren't on a needle. Mm. For some reason, you need to mark, you know, maybe where your first um, increase or decrease was. Yeah, just there's all sorts of exciting possibilities for markers. And I would encourage you to explore the world of markers. Make your mark. Exactly. Nice. And my last bit of advice is a bit more um, similar to yours, Soph. And it's it's not a race. Because I think that often when I end up doing things, I don't know, you know, it, it can take a bit of time sometimes to figure out exactly how you want something to look exactly what kind of fabric you want and I'm a very I'm quite an impulsive maker like I'll just decide I want to make something and like I need to get it started as quickly as possible uh which isn't a bad thing but I've just found that then I do end up starting things that about three days later I'm like well there's obvious reasons why this wasn't going to work for me (laughs) so I'm trying to um to sort of slightly step back from that I think it's you know, I don't want to lose it entirely because I think it's just something about who I am and it's quite a nice thing to just get really excited about things and want to start. But to maybe kind of reframe what starting means as like, you know, it means making loads of swatches and getting really excited about those. And everybody hates swatches when they first start knitting. But actually, they're a lot of fun because you get to just make, you get to organise your colours. I was going to say, are we going <laughs> back wonderful. to that? Yeah. Um, but also, I think, um, like, I used to want to just make things really really fast and I still you know I get excited about with uh, with sewing that it is faster than knitting and there's something really satisfying about that but equally there's only so many things that I need and I'm now getting to a point where I've got enough knitwear I've started giving away the stuff that you know is no longer to my taste for whatever reason or unraveling things to reuse the yarn but that's kind of really made me think like if you're really you know you're rushing to make these things but you don't need all, you know, like if you just take a bit more time and make things a little bit more slowly, think about them a bit more carefully and maybe don't look too much at how much other people are producing because that's when it starts to feel a bit like a race. And I think especially, I found, especially when I first started knitting, the idea of being fast was like the goal. It's like, I want to be a fast knitter and that's like how you're a good knitter. I mean, there's no real way of being like a good or bad knitter, but I think especially in terms of speed, I just, yeah, I don't feel like it needs to be a race necessarily Mm. with anyone else and especially not with yourself because I think if you just, if I, I mean, I'll speak for myself, when I try and take it a bit more slowly and especially having this repetitive strain injury (laughs) means that I just can't, I can't knit that much and I can't make things as fast as I used to and it's okay. Like, you know, (laughs) it's it's fine. It's not, I, I was really worried that I'd, um, that I'd sort of feel bad and luckily I don't I don't know yeah I would just say you know if you need to go a bit slower go slower and that getting fast at knitting is not necessarily the end goal Hmm. the end goal is making something you love that's what I'd offer exactly or that you know is for someone that you care about and that they will love Yes, well, we hope you enjoyed this episode where we talked about uh, making things and uh, those sort of things in between. Um, So thanks for listening. Thanks to Jackie, of course. Thanks, Livia. Thanks, Sophie. Very good. Thank you. Thanks, POM team. And thanks, yeah, thanks you guys. We uh, hope it's been nice having us back and uh, we're working on schedule where we can bring this podcast back on a more regular basis, uh, working that in with our schedules. 
So yeah, yeah, like we said, keep in touch on the Ravelry forums. Maybe we'll see you there. Having we usually pop in to say hello. Uh, you can find all the show notes on uh, Palm website. And yeah, keep crafting. Keep looking after yourselves and each other. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Pomcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Heathcott, along with the team at Pom Pom Quarterly Magazine. You can buy your copy of the magazine and subscribe too at our online shop. That's pompommag.com forward slash shop. Big thank you to Eli Block for creating the original music for this show and for being an essential part in creating this podcast. For more Eli-related music, go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Thanks, as always, to Megan Fernandez, co-creator and editor of Pom Pom Quarterly, and thanks to the whole Pom Pom team spread all over the world in your little home offices. We love you and you know who you are. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and why not leave a review? Send any feedback or ideas to podcast at pompommag.com and don't forget to keep in touch with us via the podcast group on the Pom Pom Ravelry Forum. That was good. A little rusty, but it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. No, we're getting there.